Aloha and welcome back to SUP FM. My name's Simon Hutchinson and in the SUP FM podcast each week I chat to people who can inspire and add to your experience of stand-up paddleboarding. What you'll find in every episode is a conversation with someone who's either done something incredible in SUP or who can offer you some learning, insights and help which can add something to your time on the water. We want to say a big thank you to the show sponsors over at Starboard. Starboard is the leading innovator in SUP and has a huge history in board and paddle design. And way back in episode 71, I talked to Sven Rasmussen, the creator of the brand. He started by producing windsurfing boards in 1994 and the success of his innovative designs led to the brand becoming the windsurf market leader in only 10 years. Starboard got behind stand-up paddling early and has supported the sport ever since. Starboard continue to innovate on the environmental front and improve and push the boundaries of design and functionality, which makes their boards and their paddles perfect for the weekend warriors like me, as well as the elite level competitors like one of our previous guests, Michael Booth. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. You can catch up with SUPFM podcast in plenty of places, including Instagram and Facebook. But if you wanted to keep it old school, you could sign up to our SUPFM email newsletter, which goes out with a whole heap of value added updates. And if you did sign up as a thank you, you'd also get our free guide to our favorite apps that we use on the water and which helps us to keep safe and informed. And you can subscribe by heading over to our website, supfmpodcast.com and also linked to in the show notes. This week, we're very proud to feature Joe Mosley, someone who perhaps doesn't need any introduction, particularly in the UK. But if you haven't heard of Joe, then she's one of the biggest ambassadors for SUP in the UK and a prolific creator and has spoken hundreds of times about her love for paddleboarding and how it helped her build her confidence and her mental and physical health following a number of life events. She's also a filmmaker and she made the film Brave Enough, which is currently being presented in adventure film festivals across the country and which you should definitely check out when it becomes available for general release. She's also writing a book due out in spring 22. And of course, she's also a podcaster hosting the Joy of Sup podcast. And her 25 episodes are out there with all the usual podcast providers with some really lovely conversations with a collection of very inspiring women. So that's quite enough of me talking. Here is the ever-impressive Joe Mosley. Hi, Joe. Welcome to Sup FM. Oh, thank you so much, Simon. It is such an honour to be on your podcast. I'm I'm hugely grateful. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, that's very kind. And um, we've been sharing a bit of online love and cheering each other on for a while now. So it's uh, long overdue to be finally talking, and it's great. To have you on as a fellow podcaster yeah yeah and you inspired me so and and you know as we sort of always say that um the, the motto of my podcast is we rise by lifting others and for me that's not just my guests that's other 
you know, people in the paddleboarding community and fellow podcasters. So um, I love what you do. And sometimes I'll see you've interviewed someone and I'll think, oh, I was going to interview um, her. And then I think, oh, I don't need to now. Simon has. So I can just um, share that episode for everybody. So, yeah, I love what you do. And thank you. Well, thank you very much. Um, so I watched your film last night, which is Brave Enough, mm-hmm. about your experience paddleboarding coast to coast across England and becoming the first woman to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's currently doing the round of adventure film festivals in the UK at the moment. And I've got to say, I really loved it. It's a very lovely film, really well put together and beautifully shot and some themes in there which apply to us all. And of course, if you do watch it, you get to experience some of the beautiful English countryside. So you must be pretty delighted about how that turned out. Yeah, we are. Um, and it, 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 it sort of, I never intended to do, to make a film. Um, it was very much um, a sort of extra to the whole process. Um, I had um, shared on, and thank you for your kind words about it. I, I really appreciate that. So I had um, shared that I was going to do the coast to coast and the filmmaker Frit then contacted me and said, would you like a film about it? And I was like, yeah, cool. That'd be lovely. Thank you. Thinking it would be like a two minute sort of little trailer sort of almost. Um, and thinking that Frit would come and spend a couple of days with me at most. And in the end, we spent eight um, eight of the 11 days, Frit and I were together and we made this, we had all this footage and then Frit went away and just, you know, edited it. And then we added B-roll and, and then we just um, made it quite a personal film, quite a raw, quite a vulnerable film. And we're just overwhelmed by the response. Um, it's, um, it, it's quite yeah, it's quite overwhelming actually. And for us to be film to be to have brave enough selected for like Kendall Mountain Film Festival, and a friend of mine who's also got a film there said it's like the BAFTAs of film festivals, um, and it really is. It's um, a huge honour. So um, it was all around serendipity, really. We never expected to make such a, a long film, and we never expected it would get this far. So um, thank you. Yeah, it's a huge, huge honour. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, and as I said, I really enjoyed it. We'll talk a bit more about that a bit later on. And there's a huge amount uh, for us to chat about. But before we talk about your first SUP experience, I'm really curious to find out about your previous adventure background before SUP. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is being outdoors and sporty something that you've always done? That's a really good question, because I think particularly for, for a lot of women, there's, there's a sort of doing it time and then not doing it time. So as a little girl, I was really outdoorsy. And then in my teenage years, I was really not into any form of exercise because growing up in the 70s, it was, it was you know, exercise and movement was just seen as a way to kind of punish your body for what you'd eaten or just to make it different. There was no joy. Exercise was not for joy. <laughs> um and so I just didn't do it. I was very self-conscious. And then in my 20s, I was really quite adventurous. Looking back, I, I, um, I kayaked in Alaska and I, um, I, I dived. My dad's always been a diver and a sailor. Um, and so I did quite a bit of diving on the west coast of Scotland um, and was really – and then, then I was sort of um, – I wouldn't say I led an expedition. I would say that I was like – 
the housekeeper for an expedition in Africa and I went traveling in the Philippines and I dived there. And then I, um, this is going to sound awful, but then I got married, you know, I got a job and I got married and I had children and, and I just stopped doing a lot of things. There were, it was always just such, you know, there's so much else to do really. Um, and then divorced and, and sort of raising my boys as a, as a single mum. So there was always so many other things to do. And then mm. it was in 2013, 14, that um, I sort of had this, which you, you'll see in the film, obviously had this sort of, um, you know, bad meltdown moment in, in Tesco's supermarket in Skipton. And I sort of started exercising again and then went back to outdoorsy things. So it's both new and also familiar. It's, um, I think, particularly for a lot of women, it, out, exercise in the outdoors is it's not a straight line trajectory. It's not you either do or you don't. It's it's like a roller coaster. And for quite a few times, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't outdoors and I wasn't moving my body. And then I just started to realize just how much joy it brings me. And paddleboarding has been a huge part of that. So tell us about your first stand-up paddleboard experience. Amazing. Um, and I've written about it. I was just editing uh, editing it the, today. And, and I'll, I, I can remember exactly what happened. It was the 24th of September, 2016. Um, and I had booked a paddleboarding lesson with John Wilson up in um, the Lake District on Derwent Water. And I um, I'd injured my knee in the January of that year. And I'd been on crutches and really, you know, down and, and sort of in a lot of pain and not being able to move much. And it was just really difficult. And I'd read that paddleboarding was really good for your core strength and that it would help my knee. Um, and kind of build the muscles around it. Um, so I set myself a challenge on the September the 1st of 2016 to do half an hour exercise every day outside to get my knee right and just to kind of lift my spirits again. And so we booked this session um, up in the lakes um, with a, a wonderful chap called Bo. And I was really nervous and I was just like, questioning the whole way am I going to enjoy it what have I built this up to be something that is just not that interesting or I'm really rubbish at and we went through all the safety stuff and the kit stuff and then we went out onto the lake and um, I was really nervous and there's photos of me looking really nervous and trying to do step back turns and I'm not that much better at them now I'll be honest Um, but then I just kind of moved away from the group for a bit and I just looked out onto Derwent Water And for the first time in a long time, I just kind of held my head high and my shoulders dropped and I just exhaled and I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I am literally walking on water. Um, You know, my knee had caused me such problems and I thought I can do this even with my dodgy knee. And um, and it, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but for the first time in months, I felt like a warrior, not a worrier. You know, I felt so strong and so like, this is amazing. Um, and we went on a little safari down a little river. And then we had quite a walk back to where we were being picked up. And I just remember carrying this board and thinking, I absolutely love every single thing about this and I know it's really special so I was one of those instant I've fallen in love with paddleboarding. Wow that's quite an experience and I can certainly understand why um, you got hooked so 
early in there. I think it's an experience that happens to a lot of it. And I've probably bored the listeners with this far too many times, but my first experience wasn't promising, but equally it got its claws into me. But Derwent Water, you know, what a, what a fantastic place to start. Just explain to those people outside uh, the UK about what makes it so beautiful. Um, so the Lake District is just one of the most beautiful parts of the UK. There are a number of different lakes. Um, Derwent Water is, is it the second or third largest? It's about three miles long, um, about a mile wide, I think. 22 meters deep um and it's just stunning you're surrounded by mountains and trees and there's lots of different places that you can launch and it's just it's breathtaking it's you know breathtaking it's um it's Wordsworth and Beatrix Potter and you know it's it's one of the well it's one of our greatest national parks and it's just the most beautiful um, sort of area that you could be in um, and obviously it's a lake which makes it a little easier than trying in the coast I mean it was actually quite a grey day but it didn't really matter I it was just the beauty was just astounding and um, I I yeah I just uh, fell in love immediately well, yeah, absolutely not surprising if I just add uh, Swallows and Amazons to that list as well, of, of films set in the Lake District. And you're right, it's absolutely the most beautiful place in the world, um, as long as it's not sort of torrential rain or flooding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's something you have to think about with um, with the lakes. But yeah, I, I when I went back to do the research um, for the book, I went back to Derwent Water, a little bit of a different place, but to St Herbert's Island. And as we were there, I said to the chap I was with, I said, this feels very Swallows and Amazon. And he said, yeah, they filmed the film here. So, yeah, it's it's just gorgeous. For you, it's not just about having done the sport, but it's also been um, largely about you sharing your experiences, which has been such a hallmark of what you've done. And you've done that across lots of different mediums. So when did all of that start? Did that start with your your rowing challenge? Maybe you can just just talk a little bit about that because that's in the film, isn't it? Yeah. So um, back in 2013, I was 48 and um, I had a sort of meltdown in in the Tesco's biscuit aisle in Skipton. Um, And it was that witching hour after school and after work with I was with my two sons. I'm I'm a single mum. And um, we were doing the shopping for my eldest son's Duke of Edinburgh um, expedition. And I just sort of burst into tears and just said to the boys, I can't cope. You know, I just can't do this anymore. And what I meant by that was um, everything was overwhelming. You know, I hadn't slept for months. I hadn't had a good night's sleep for months. And there were a different number of factors. Um, One was being a busy single mum. One was that both my parents were going through chemotherapy. So my dad's had breast, bowel and skin cancer. And my mum has had, my mum was being treated for lymphoma at the time. And I was also going through the early stages of the perimenopause leading up to the menopause, but didn't realize. So I was anxious, um, wasn't sleeping. I was bursting into tears a lot. My whole body just was not feeling good. Um, And when I told a friend um, a couple of days later that, you know, I'd been crying in the supermarket and I sort of told her as a joke but I didn't feel I wanted to burden my parents with this because they were both you know 
literally arranging their chemotherapy around their, around each other. Um, she said, would exercise help and how much exercise have you, you know, do you do? And that was a time when, you know, I really wasn't doing any kind of looking after myself. I'd spend, you know, the weekends just driving the boys to rugby and we might go on walks, but really I was like the bottom of the priority list. And, uh, you know, understandably, I was a single mum. I had two sons to raise. And so she let me in an indoor rowing machine that was either going to the tip or to the charity shop, literally. Um, and it was really on its last legs. Um, and within a couple of weeks of indoor rowing, I was sleeping. And so life just completely changed. And then that was May 2013. And December 2013, my mum died. And I wanted to do something in her memory. So I decided to raise to fundraise for Macmillan Cancer Support. And I didn't know what I could do. I had no real thinking about, you know, what could I do that was interesting. Um, and so I decided to row a million meters and a marathon for Macmillan. And I started on the um, their what would have been their wedding anniversary, the 5th of May, 2014. And for eight months, every other night, I rode 10,000 meters. I rode a couple of half marathons and a marathon on the first anniversary of her death and five days before my 50th birthday. And we raised with gift aid about 10,000 pounds. So that was my first sort of thing where I started to um, kind of share my story, but also use social media to tell people about what I was doing and, and um, gave me a sort of platform to, to talk about um, well-being, really, in, in all its forms. I, I've never really been very good at Facebook, and I didn't know what Instagram was then, but I did a lot on Twitter and and you know, lots of people, lots of wonderful rowers um, messaged me and they would say, you know, how are you doing this and how are you doing that? And maybe you should slow down and maybe you should stroke this way. And and sort of Olympic medalists would let me, you know, would give me tips and things. And and I never I never did it to, to show anybody how good a rower I was. I was literally just trying to raise money for Macmillan. Um, and I just started to see the value that social media can play in you know, in making a difference. And that's really what has sort of, um, that's what leads me, you know, trying to make a difference, trying to make a contribution in a small way to the world as I get older. And how did you feel about putting yourself out there at that point? Because it, it can be a tough part, you know, having the courage to go and do it. I mean, I, I produced this show for a while before I got out in front of the mic. So it is a big decision. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's really funny because I was so focused and I think that was grief, really. You know, I think that was grief that focused my attention. I just needed to find a way through the grief that I didn't, I didn't worry about what other people thought. All I cared about was that I was raising money to say thank you to Macmillan. And, and then I realized just the power of focus and that. Yes, Twitter can be an absolute cesspit, um, but it can also be really kind and encouraging. And that if you show your courage and honesty and you have hopefully the right intentions behind it, then people will respond to that. So I've always tried to be kind of true to that. And and, um, and it is scary, but it's also really lovely when people can relate to it and you just have to balance that out and say it's worth it so 
in metaphor terms, it was a bit like when you paddleboarded through that mile long tunnel in your coast challenge where you basically had to do it within a certain amount of time. So there was no thinking about it. You know, you were focused, you were task focused. You just had to do it. Yeah. I use that a lot, actually. I use a lot of ideas from the coast to coast um, in my sort of daily life when I think, what's this bit? You know, is this like paddling through the weed and all you have to do is just keep paddling day after day? Um, Or is it like the tunnel when it's really scary and nobody really thinks you can do it, but you haven't got any other option? You just have to do it. So, yeah, very much like that, that the lights went green and, and I just had you know, half an hour to get through Full Ridge and I just had to go and um, and paddle my way through making as much noise as I could so nobody um, would run me over. Not that they were going to, but that was my fear. It's dark in there, isn't it? So yeah. I've got to talk to you about the podcast first. <laughs> you produce the Joy of Sup podcast, uh, available from all the regular podcast providers, and um, you curate some great conversations with a collection of inspiring women. Yeah. So what led you down the road to to podcasting specifically? I don't know. I think I just love stories and I love hearing other people's stories. And I, I mean, it was in lockdown. I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I was listening obviously to yours, which is obviously the first and foremost and the one that um, inspired me and listening to lots of podcasts and, and thinking, there's some great stories out there and I'd like to share more and I'd like to learn more. And for me during lockdown podcasting, cause I live alone and my son was home for the first lockdown, but number two and three, he, he went back to uni. Um, I was literally, this is going to make me sound like, you know, complete Joey no mates, but podcasts would be my, like having friends in the house, you know, I'd listen, I'd do my work and I'd have these people chatting, excuse me. <coughs> And um, and so I just thought, wouldn't it be really lovely to sort of focus on the stories of different women who podcast and share that joy? And and um, and so I just thought, oh, this sounds like a really good idea. It doesn't look too hard, you know. As you know, Simon, that's like um, <laughs> completely the wrong thing. It really is a lot harder than you think. Um, but um, yeah, I just thought, wow, let's just have a go. Excuse me. <coughs> So I just thought, yeah, let's just have a go and um, and launched and and took it away, really. So, yeah, it's been a joy. I always say to people, it's a thousand times harder than I thought it would be. And it's a thousand times more joyful. Absolutely. It is a real privilege to be having all of these conversations. And, you know, it, it's the really weird thing that all of my conversations are all my favorite episodes. You make that connection with someone for an hour. Mm, I absolutely agree. When people say, you know, what's your favorite one? I said, just literally every single one is different. And I try and get, I try and get lots of different stories. So obviously I launched with Cal Major, world record breaking endurance paddleboarder. Um, but I didn't, obviously there are only, there's only one Cal Major, but I, I wanted to show the variety of paddleboarders and the variety of stories. And I know that each person, and the same with with yours, each person will speak to a different audience. And somebody, my my kind of success um, is 
if one person, and it's usually a woman, but not always, but if one person listens to that story and says, I want to try paddleboarding or I want to go back to paddleboarding because I gave up because maybe life got in the way or I, I want to take a lesson or I want to progress a different discipline. I'm an inspired by that story. Then for me, that's, that episode has been a success if just one person is inspired by it. Um, and we get really lovely feedback, as I'm sure you do, you know, where people just go, wow, that really, that's my story. And I feel like it, I really relate to it. Your interviewees are all female. And mm. I think it's, it's, this is such a strong sport and it really seems to be sort of democratic in terms of a split between men and women. And, mm. you know, uh, I think, you know, this particular series, I'm um, finishing strongly with a female guest list. I was, mm-hmm. um, I had a sort of run of male guests in the middle, but, but, you know, there are so many incredible, incredibly strong females, you know, whether it's, what what you've done going coast to coast and obviously sharing things you know as you say you know Cal Major and Fiona Quinn were the first two human beings to go from Land's End to John O'Groats mm. it's it's an incredibly female led sport and and it's much better for that as well because it obviously takes out some of the the, the testosterone fueled elements that um, you know doesn't necessarily serve uh, absolutely. And the statistics from British canoeing are that um, it's their second, um, where people, when they join British canoeing, tick, you know, the discipline that they do. It's the second behind recreational kayaking. Um, and it's the one where the split within paddleboarding is 51% female. So mm. it's the highest um, discipline that has that demographic split. Um, and I think it is, I think it is, um, Really, I think the sport really does benefit from having that um, that balance, um, and and we have such incredible, wonderful role models in men and women. Um, but yeah, the the women, um, and I just see a lot of women who have found a sense of purpose and courage that they didn't think that they had, um, and they found that through paddleboarding, which is is wonderful. In terms of the podcasting experience there, you kind of referred to it. How how did you find the whole sort of podcast production recording cycle? Because as as you said, it is a little bit uh, harder than it first appears, isn't it? Yeah. So on a wing and a prayer, Simon, on an absolute wing and a prayer, um, the next series will be much more professional. Um, So I decided to do it. And within about three weeks, I had set up and and recorded um, a couple of episodes. Um, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, I did a really, I did three quarters of a really good online course with one of my absolute favorite podcasters. Um, And it was about not the technical stuff, but it was about your mission and your story and and the values behind your podcast. And that was really good. I still have to do the other quarter. Um, But that really set me up in terms of why I was doing it. And the rest of it literally has been looking at something and thinking, how do I do this? And sometimes ringing my youngest son and saying, how do I do this? And he goes, mom, you have a podcast out there. You've got to just learn, you know. Um, so the technical bit has been a wing and a prayer and learning and Googling something and think, and, you know, YouTube, I find on YouTube and it'll say, literally, how do you do this? How do you, 
you know, export and import into audacity? And how do you turn this into something that it wasn't? And then just hope, hoping that it reaches people. Um, and I've, I think I've learned a lot of lessons. And as I go, I'm hopefully getting more um, professional. And I admire yours because you're you're very calm and measured, whereas mine are just like an excited little girl, like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I cry a lot and when somebody moves me. And I think I need to be a bit calmer like Simon and a bit more measured. Um, but I, I love it. It's so much harder, but it's just so much more rewarding. And I'm just trying to professionalize myself a bit so that there's less wing and a prayer and more I know what I'm doing. But it's working. I mean, it's working. So um, I don't want to lose the authenticity, but I do want to just give it a little bit more structure. Absolutely. And you don't don't want to get too professional because that's what your listeners are all yeah. enjoying. You know, it's that gentle chat. I, I've actually made a couple of my guests cry over the last few episodes. So I'm, I'm hoping that isn't uh, going to be a pattern I'll continue in. And, uh, <laughs> I probably need to get a bit more animated as well, but uh, but there you go. But you know, it's all an evolution and just getting out and doing it and not caring too much about things being absolutely perfect because mm. you kind of learn on the road, don't you? Yeah, there's there's sometimes the only way to learn is by doing. You can read all the books you like or go on all the online courses, but until you do something, you don't know how to do it. Um, and yeah. You just have to just keep doing it. And and that's why, you know, like you with your podcast, because, I mean, you started in 2015. You were so ahead of the curve. It's, you know, incredible. It was 2015 you started, wasn't it, with you and Nick? It was with a massive gap until probably the time when you picked up again. Yeah, a few months after you. But, you know, and I just found that so inspiring that you had that courage to do it long before anybody probably thought that we should have podcasts about paddleboarding and 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 that courage when other people do what they do and they just keep chipping away and doing it you I can't help but be inspired by it so um so yeah and I just truly think that we we we're not you know you and I are in competition I really I love what you do and I love saying to people oh you know my stories on Instagram and thing oh you should listen to this podcast or you know telling people about it because I think um that's just the way that we can communicate with them. It's it's very much the ethos of paddleboarding is mm. to support each other and to be encouraging and to be kind. And so, you know, as podcasters, I see um, I see like what you do is something that I want to promote and I love it. You know, I've I've listened to some and just been really, really moved by them. Um, and but I've also lo- I've also learned a huge amount from yours. Um, the, you know, some of those ones that you did on safety and at the beginning of this series, I found personally, I found really, really good, you know, and I, um, I love that the technical stuff that you share. That's really kind. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's the ethos of this sport. It's the aloha factor. It's the kindness and, and so on. And, you know, we're all sharing that and, you know, just like we'll support any other podcaster, who gets out there but uh, now i've really enjoyed it really enjoyed the chats and really enjoyed your podcast so congratulations awesome. and 25 episodes so far is a decent back catalogue that's a, a huge amount of work <laughs> yeah well I, i'll tell you 
uh, I'll tell you why I did it like that was because I thought if I don't, if I don't like record all these episodes, I'll give up, you know, I'll scare myself. So I just went ahead before I could get scared. It was like, just do it. And now you have these recordings and you have to edit them because you can't let people down because you've promised that they're going to be on a podcast. So it was partly accountability. And then obviously over the summer, I've had a bit of a rest um, whilst I've been doing other stuff. Um, but um, I'm raring to go again now. Um, but I just couldn't get to, I couldn't do two things at once. I had to do one creative thing at a time. So you're definitely going to go back and do some more episodes. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got a list of some, you know, great people and and um, just different people and um, different stories um, that I've met over the summer and um, some that I met online and, and um, yeah, just want that variety and, and just to keep sharing really cool stories. Brilliant. So we all look forward to your new season and you continue to be really busy. And again, to continue our chat about the different mediums, you also have done a lot of speaking. So when did you start doing that? Um, I started with, well, I did a few talks with, with some brands um, at film festivals, which was lovely. So I think the first one kind of in this sort of um, arena was 2018 um, with um, a wonderful community called Adventure Uncovered. And they asked me to um, a trail running festival where I talked about picking up litter. Um, and that just gave me a huge amount of, um, uh, and that just gave me a lot of confidence. And then I also spoke um, at Kendall um, with Findra who make, the um the leggings and the merino wool tops and beanies and neck warmers that I wear and the my blue jacket in the film um and I spoke at Kendall with them and then um because I'm a member of the Women's Institute um people started asking whether I could talk at their events after I had done the coast to coast um and then when we went into lockdown I they all went on to zoom and so I was able to speak to women's institute groups literally all around the country. I think I did about 50 or 60 in a year, which was amazing. It was like having company. Um, and then I've done other speaking with um, sort of corporate organizations that have then found me online. And, and we've done talks um, around well-being and paddleboarding and midlife and things like that. So um, just developing. And obviously, when we show the film at Kendall in November, we'll be doing a Q&A. And I was at SheStream recently and the film was shown and then I was on a panel all about community. And so I just say yes to every opportunity, really, <laughs> just just to experience it. So um, it's incredibly nerve wracking beforehand. And I'm always on the way and thinking, why have I said yes to this? I think I'm going to you know, be sick. But actually, once I get up there and share things um that I've experienced and um, just try and do it with the intention of helping other women usually, but men too, it seems to get um, good feedback. So I just say ne I just say yes to the next opportunity. And you're using your platform to raise money for charity and bring awareness to various issues out there. Mm -hmm. And there's some themes that, that, that run through your work. So just talk about some of those key things, because obviously we've got the plastic pollution which figured very heavily in the film that we're going to talk about in a minute mm -hmm. uh, to, but but there are other areas of, of focus that you've uh, concentrated on yeah 
Yeah, so obviously the plastic, and I'm an ambassador for Two Minute Beach Clean, um, the Two Minute Beach Clean Foundation, and that's all all about just spending two minutes a day um, just to try and make a difference, um, you know, where you are and how you then consume and, and your use of single-use plastic. Um, and I'm very much driven by um, a book called One Day by David Nichols, and there's a passage in there, and there's a sort of quote which is, not change the world exactly, but change the bit around you. And that's my approach is I can't change so much in the world, but the one thing I can do is just make a contribution and make a difference in the world around me. So the two minute beach, two minute beach clean foundation really fits that ethos. Um, and I talk about mental health a lot. Um, and the power of being outdoors and moving outdoors. Um, I'm very fortunate to be an ambassador for CFL, which is um, Cal Major's charity. Um, and so, yeah, for me, there's a huge amount about mental well-being. Um, I have in my life, um, well, I've always been an anxious person. I thought everybody lived with, in you know, thinking about the world in the same way as I did and just completely anxiously um at every opportunity until my sons sort of got older and I started asking them if that's how they saw the world and they were like no mum I think uh, I think not and um, so I've always worried about things and been quite anxious so I talk a lot about mental health and I talk about mental health in the context of being um, a middle-aged woman um, and going through the menopause which you know a few years ago was very very hush hush but now everybody's talking about it um but i talk about you know how movement and being outdoors can really help our menopause um and just to try and help other women feel less alone i know i just did not know what was happening when i was crying in supermarkets um because whilst it's the tesco episode is the one most people know about you know i think there's only sainsbury's and little that i haven't cried in um i think i've kind of run run all the other ones and and sort of you know been uh been tearful in so really it's about helping other women um and their partners around who and who are with them and, and thinking you know why is she so anxious or not sleeping or you know your whole body aches um all those different things just to try and raise use my story to some purpose to help other women realize they're not alone and that there is help and they do need to look after themselves. So they're the things, you know, mental health, plastic and the menopause um, are kind of the things that I talk about really. And moving as well, you know, thinking back to that rowing that you did, but there's something about that sort of methodical just back at and, and forward motion yeah. it's the same with paddle boarding or when you get into your flow when you're running or, or cycling or whatever which is really therapeutic and and really allays that anxiety yeah it, it does and I I say in the film that that basically when mum died there was a, a huge amount of other grief that had um settled settled in my bones and so that was um I've I've had two miscarriages and and obviously I'm divorced and so there was a lot of grief around both those experiences both miscarriages and divorce that I just literally had settled in my bones and mum's death just added you know it compounded that and and what the rowing did was it helped me move that grief and I know it sounds woo woo but it helped me move that grief out of that 
core kind of bone marrow and and as I rode allowed me to exhale it and just um there's all sorts of research that I've since found about the power of movement um and what it does you know physically within your body and that that's not an uncommon thing it's not uncommon for people to use movement to allay to help them with their grief you know it is not unique to me um but as you say that the the sort of going backwards and forwards on a rowing machine um really really helped um and I'm not you know it was never about getting fit it was never about um anything other than just trying to find my way through this overwhelming sadness um and trying to find some purpose in losing my mum really Mm. so i mean you're absolutely right in terms of movement and there's a a therapeutic thing called emdr which is eye movement desensitization uh, which is to be geared to the natural movement of the eyes when you're walking, when you're moving forward. And there is therapy in moving and people use that approach with post-traumatic stress. So it's entirely consistent with that, that you get the positive effects both physically, uh, but also sort of mentally. I was talking to Dave Knight a few weeks ago on the show about having what we called a quiver of different methods to manage anxiety and the different things that he did and he had a whole list of things that he does on a daily and weekly basis to to manage his mental health obviously exercise is a key one for you is there anything else that you do that keeps you on the straight and narrow um so exercise but also exercise outside outsideness and light is really key for me um i'm really really um obsessed by good sleep (laughs) having not slept for so many years um so I'm very particular um I have my sort of sleep hygiene so to speak um and I try I try and you know be early to bed I I love I would love to say that I turn my phone off at nine and never look at it until the next morning but that's not true but I do try and be really particular that it is off it you know have it outside my bedroom when I sleep and all that so I'm pretty good at that but I don't always turn it off at nine in the morning at nine at night um I but I you know I like to be in bed by 10 at the latest um and um I have my kind of relaxing tea um I don't drink caffeine I have decaf tea and I have all these um funky herbal teas that like you know years ago I would look at people and go oh god that's just really weird but now they just soothe me so sleep is a massive part of it um being around people that um I know I can trust with my my dreams is really important having a community around me and um and reading before you, you know both physically people that and online people that I feel like I can share my my dreams with helps me with my anxiety when I get worried that I can't do the things I want to do um and I read quite a lot which I find really calming so it's really sleep and being outside and moving and having a community of people but and I also think creativity helps me with my anxiety mm-hmm. um trying to funnel my feelings into something that could be worthwhile to other people so like the film or um you know what I write and things is is a way of taking my anxiety and turning it into something positive for someone else and saying look you're not alone this is what it was like um and 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 that somehow gives me a purpose which helps alleviate my own worries it's all about getting it 
it out there. And you're quite right. So there was a mixture there of things. And I heard something this week, someone say that people who are effective and who make a difference, not only have a to-do list, but also have a, a don't do list. Yeah. So leaving the the phone outside the room and, you know, avoiding caffeine. I've played with that recently. And actually, I've done a lot better with it, which is not touching my phone within an hour of getting up. Yeah. And that makes me a lot more focused during the, the course of the day. So that's a fair old quiver of, of stuff. There. Yeah. And just not natural. I did hear somebody talk about how the phone has become, I think they called it the polyfiller of life. And I'm not going to in any way pretend that the phone, you know, I don't look at it and, and stuff like that because I absolutely do. I mean, I don't have any notifications, which is a bit difficult because sometimes people will ring me and I won't know that they've rung me because I don't, um, my phone's on silent and I don't have any notifications. But um, but also just trying to say to myself um, that if I don't, so when I'm writing, if I don't understand, I don't know how to put a sentence together or get a point across. My natural inclination in the past has just been to look at my phone for some reason. And I'm trying to say, no, that this, the answer to this problem is not going to be right scrolling Twitter. It's mm. going to be like thinking quietly and deeply. And just as you said, not looking at your phone within an hour of waking up. It's It's like giving your brain the chance to think something through rather than searching for an external medium, which won't give you the answer to what you're looking for because actually what you really need is just quiet time to think it through. God, I could talk for hours on this, but uh, let, let's move on past uh, phones and talk a little bit about one of your other formats, which uh, is probably dearest to your heart at the moment, uh, which is your book. Just tell us a bit about that. So it's a book about beautiful places to paddleboard in the UK, in England, Scotland and Wales. Um, it's for Vertebrate Publishing, which is a really lovely publishing company, all about inspiring adventure. Um, so it's about adventurers and places and guides. And um, this is their first paddleboarding book. Um, and it's been a huge honour and privilege to research. It's um, trying to write a book about traveling the country to paddleboard as you come out of a lockdown is being really hard i'm not going to uh, i'm not going to lie you know um people getting pinged um somebody getting covid you know all these different things trying to do the logistics um it's been tricky um but it's been a huge huge privilege and i've been just incredibly lucky to paddle in some extraordinary places in the UK and meet some extraordinary people. And it's it's like my love letter to paddleboarding. Um, it's stories and like a travel diary of what we did. Um, so it's very personal. It's, you know, we were there and this is what we did and this is what we saw. And then there's lots of information and then there's lots of kind of guidey stuff as well. Um, but it's been a joy and it'll be published next year. And um it's terrifying and wonderful in equal measure because <laughs> you know you're putting your words out there and um but i've i've learned so much about you know just how many beautiful places we have to paddleboard and how precious they are and how wonderful the paddleboarding community is and you got to paddleboard with a few of your previous guests, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did because obviously I needed to go to places and meet people. Um, 
A for safety. Most of the places I paddled, I did with people. So A for safety and B for stories and to understand what made those places special. So I was really lucky. I got to meet some of my, my guests in, in, um, in, um, in person and got to meet people that aren't, weren't guests, but that are going to be guests. So yeah, it's been a, just a huge joy, huge, huge joy. And just in terms of, of the book, so it's coming out in the spring. How are you getting it out there? Is it real proper books or is it just going out electronically? No, no, it's proper books, proper books. So yeah, they, they, um, they have just such a beautiful catalogue. Um, the, you know, the way they put books together is, is stunning and they're just so kind. And, um, so we'll have proper books in proper shops and, um, and I would love to, you know, go back to all the places and maybe give talks and, um, do book talks and stuff. It's just, um, I've, I very much see myself as the messenger, um, not the message you know I just want to go and tell people what gorgeous gorgeous places there are the things to think about when you go to these places the things you might see and how we as paddleboarders can make a difference so um you know by being really careful where we go and being really um observant about how we um how we paddle and where we paddle so yeah I've learned so I I said to my editor I wish I could go back to the beginning and do the book with the knowledge that I've got now but obviously that doesn't happen but um I've learned so much about paddleboarding as well um and um yeah it's been a huge huge privilege and joy you know unbelievably scary (laughs) And, and you know kind of putting your words out there and researching and but just amazing as well just um yeah, just such an it's it is genuinely one of the greatest honors of my life to write this book. Um and I've always wanted to write a book. I never thought it would be on a on an adventure topic, but um it is just um, a dream, a, you know, a dream come true really. Well, they say everyone's got a, a book in them, but writing a book is a frustrating thing. Yeah. Yeah, it it is really hard. Um but but great and what a privilege you know what an honor to be to the to be somebody that can can write that book so um and go to these places and meet these people and and just share what we have on our doorstep so i don't know whether you had the same experience that that i've had which is you, you sort of write and then you go back and you think my god what's that and then you have to re-edit and work on it again it's a bit like podcasting really i guess it's a constant sort of refinement of putting it together and uh, you you're right it, it's such a risk to get your words out there but uh, once it's out there it sounds incredibly exciting thank you yeah it is it's really it is so i wrote a few chapters and then I went back to them and I was just like, God, these are awful. These are just, this is just awful. I can't, I can't, I can't share this. And so I went back and, and every one I did, I would send to my dad. Um, you know, my dad, um, what is he now? 88, but he, he was a, um, he stopped, he only stopped sailing in his late seventies. Um, because the doctor said, look, John, you've had so, no, only stopped diving, sorry, in his late seventies when the doctor said, look, you've had so much chemotherapy. It's just probably not a good thing to go down to depth, um, and dive. Uh, and my dad has, has often dived alone because he didn't, his, his dive buddy died. So, and he never, 
um, found anyone. She dived with him consistently, and obviously, you should never dive alone. Mm. Um, but um, so my dad's always um, had a huge love of the sea and as a sailor, and um, so. I would send him chapters and he was really sweet. He would say, oh, I think you're getting better. I think they're getting better. I really love that. I didn't know that about this place. And gosh, I, you know, that's really interesting. And so, um, yeah, my poor dad and my poor sister have read every chapter and, um, and sort of commented on it and, um, given me ideas. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been a huge, huge privilege, really scary, but huge privilege. And great to share it with your family. So, I think we've teased the listeners enough. We have mm. talked a bit about uh, your film throughout, actually. So, as I mentioned, it's called Brave Enough, mm-hmm. appearing in adventure film festivals. And it's a really striking and very life-affirming film, particularly your experience at the end of your journey. And I watched it with my wife, and Aww. she had a little sniffle, and <laughs> there was a by wiping at the end, and she will absolutely kill me for saying that. So I may well edit this bit out. but. <laughs> Could you just explain a bit about the film and, and first of all, what it's about? Yes. Yeah, so um, in 2019, thank you. I, I appreciate um, I appreciate you and your wife taking the time to watch it. And thank you for your kind words. I, you know, genuinely, it is always just so amazing when people speak about it. Um, so in 2019, I paddleboarded coast to coast. I was the first woman to do it. My friend Jason did it in the February um, and the um, Canal and River Trust were making it into a coast-to-coast. So it's from Liverpool to Goul. So Liverpool, on the for, for your international listeners, Liverpool's on the West Coast. Goul is the most inland port on the East Coast of, um, of England. It's 162 miles, um, 91 locks on the Leeds-Liverpool Canal, and then at Leeds you change, and then you go onto the River Air and call the navigation. And a navigation is like a river that's been canalised. So... 91 locks, I think a couple of hundred swing bridges between Liverpool and Leeds. Leeds to Liverpool is canal is a really famous canal. It's um, over 200 years old and it, it was really played a huge part in the Industrial Revolution. Um, sort of, So it's a massively kind of iconic canal. And then you go onto the river and to the, the um, navigation. Um, and I was picking up litter and raising money for the Two Minute Beach Clean Foundation and for the WAVE Project, which is a surf therapy charity that supports um, children and young adults um, with their mental health by taking them surfing. And they've done just huge, wonderful, wonderful work. They were 10 years old last year, um, and they're just it's a joy to follow their work and see the impact that they're making. And so I was picking up litter, raising money for charity, and we made this film uh, with a filmmaker, Frit Tam, who asked if I'd like a film to be made. And I was like, yeah, no, that's cool. Great, super, come along, thinking that Frit would stay with me for a couple of days and then get incredibly bored of this sort of middle-aged woman just, you know, paddling very slowly across the country. Um, And in the end, Frit stayed for eight of the 11 days, um, and we made the film, and we had all this footage, and then we just had to pretty much in lockdown, sit down and and frit, put the film together. And, you know, the first iteration, so to speak, as you talked about, the first ones didn't have the depth of the story. Um, and so we added the backstory, which is basically what I've talked about, which was, you know, the Tesco's moment, raising money for mum's memory. 
and then starting paddleboarding and what that meant to me. And then I actually, uh, and we talk about this in the film, I actually had the idea to, to paddleboard coast to coast um, in 2016. So literally a couple of months after my lesson in the Lake District and after getting my first board um, from a lovely chap called Alan um, at Sutton North UK. And he took me out onto this sort of marina lake in a hailstorm. And I was absolutely frozen. Um, and I had just this rubbish beanie on that was just like a fake beanie. It was so cold and my gloves were cold. Every part of me was frozen in this hailstorm as I tried these different boards. But I remember I'd asked for a paddleboard for my 52nd birthday, which is at Christmas. And I remember driving away thinking, oh my gosh, I've got a paddleboard. I'm now a paddleboarder. And within a couple of months, I had the idea to paddleboard coast to coast. But when I told a few people the response was that it was too difficult for a woman of my age that it would be really logistically boring um and that um just the whole thing would be just logistically difficult and could be quite boring sorry so it was too difficult for a woman my age too logistically difficult and could be quite boring because they didn't know how beautiful the canals are so i put the dream away for 3 years um and it was only when Basically, I didn't believe I could do it, if I'm honest. And it was only when I realized that my youngest son was going to uni that I kind of pulled the dream alive and brought it back to life in 2019 and started sharing it. And so that's what the film, it has the backstory of not believing in myself and the menopause and grief and mum and being a single mum and all that stuff. And then just shows the journey and just shows the beauty, I hope, in the canals and just the power of finding ex- extraordinary experiences in very ordinary um, places. You know, people overlook the joy of the canals, I think, to a certain degree, and I'm a real fan of them. So that's basically the story. Yeah, and as part of that, you talk to um, lock keepers and various people who are involved with the canals, and we talk a lot about um, Blue Mind and yeah. clear even if it's in the centre of, of town, there's there's real beauty. And you also talk in the film about having an adventure on your doorstep. I mean, you literally went past your doorstep, didn't you? You came very close. Yeah, yeah. So um, when Frit had to go back to, to work, um, I uh, and Frit had a van, so either end we, we had the van. But in the middle bit, um, it comes through my um, our hometown um, of Skipton. And... Um, so what my plan then was, was I, uh, Frit went back to London and I then asked a friend of my son's to, my son was abroad uh, traveling. Um, and so I asked um, a friend of my son's to collect me. So Lauren would collect me from the canal, take me home. I'd sleep at home, kind of put a wash on, check the post, that sort of thing. And then she'd collect me in the morning and then take me back to the same spot. And then I'd move along. So for four nights, I stayed at home. And it was funny because Lauren could get me back to the point that we we started and finished in about 20 minutes, half an hour. And yet it would take me eight hours to paddle it. Um, so it was lovely. And, yeah, we came through my, you know, Skipton where we live. And, you know, the interesting thing is that um, my, my um, doctor surgery is right on the canal. And for years I would go to the, go to the surgery, you know, kind of see the canal, and never appreciated how beautiful the canal was or never appreciated 
that journey. I didn't connect what I saw on my way to the doctors with Liverpool or Ghoul or the history or the beauty. Um, and so it really was adventure on your doorstep and it really was opening my eyes to what is all around us. And I've, I hope in the book I've tried to share that as well, um, that, that we just have these incredible places. I'm, I am such a fan of canals um, for being wonderful places to paddle because they're so calm usually as well. It absolutely comes across the beautiful landscape that you travelled through, beautiful English vistas, and uh, you also experienced every conceivable weather, didn't you? Yeah, yes, yeah, we did. It was everything, ev- everything. There were days I was in t-shirts, and there was days I was in, you know, cagoule and waterproof trousers. And we had a thunder. We had a couple of thun. Actually, we had three thunderstorms. Um, we had winds. I remember at one point it was when Lauren was doing the picking up. So I was completely on my own. And I remember hiding under a bridge. Um, and I just thought I'm going to get blown away here. And I just was chatting to this chap and he's like, why are you, you know, what is that surfboard? And I was like, Oh, I'm paddling across the country. And we just chatted under this bridge. And it was so lovely as we both were shielding ourselves from the, the rain and, and the wind. Um, and he was like, as, as it slightly cleared, he said, well, I'm going to make a mad dash for it. And I said, me too. Um, and those lovely little moments that the weather forced us to have. So yeah, we had all the weathers. Uh, we obviously didn't have fog, but we did have a lot of weather. And um, I, there were times when I was, you know, pretty, pretty soaked, but uh, also times when it was, it was lovely and sunny. We won't share all of the end. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a matter of record that you completed your quest. So mm-hmm. I don't think that is a spoiler. But there was some r- very extreme weather right at the end of it. In fact, I haven't seen anything like that outside of winter, really. Was, <laughs> but anyway, we won't, we won't spoil um, that one too much. So it did have a very special ending. And as I mentioned earlier on, it was very life affirming and a film with a lot of meaning but how has it been received because it it's must be great well it must be great and also a little bit worrying particularly that first time when you're sitting with people when you're showing your your film at film festivals I guess it must have been a bit nerve-wracking that first time wasn't it yeah so what we did was um we made the film and Frit um, submitted it to Adventure Uncovered Film Festival, I think on the 31st of December last year. Um, and that was also the day that my son went back to university, my youngest son. Um, and I just looked out at my diary and thought, we're going into a third lockdown. What, you know, what can I do to be creative? And, and can we use this time to give brave enough a sort of the best send out into the world that before all the other festivals come online. And so I wrote this massive, I mean, it was way over the top um, marketing thing for Frit with about 20 good reasons that we should do this and say, let's have our own online festival during lockdown. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Frit was like, yeah, okay. And then Frit wrote me a list of all the things that we needed to do in order to make that happen and for us to hold events online. And I went back and said, oh, actually, I don't think I can do this now. But by this time, you know, the teamwork that we had developed on the 
canal meant that we could have these frank conversations and I was like now I'm really scared and Fripp was like yeah but you can still do it Joe so we wrote this massive list of things that we needed to do to take a film that nobody knew about and bring it to the world so um and we just wanted to give the film like sounds really woo-woo but we wanted the film to go out into the world knowing that she, we call the film a she, she had friends. And we thought, right, let's let's have people see it and hopefully they will then send her into the world with good wishes. And I know that sounds really woo-woo. Um, so we had an industry screening where we invited loads of journalists and um, different brands that had supported me and different people. But prior to that, we sent the film out to lots of people like Carl Major, like Sarah Williams of Tough Girl Challenges, um, Bex Wild of Love Her, uh, Bex Band of Love Her Wild, sort of people within the outdoors community, Sarah Thornley, obviously from Mag UK, you know, people that really we respected to watch the film and just hoped that they would see something in it that, um, that we could think, yes, it's it's a goer. <laughs> and it wasn't just, you know, us thinking it was good. Um, Anna Kessel, who's the editor of the Women's Telegraph sports section, you know, supplement. And just the responses were so lovely. We thought, yeah, this is worth it. Let's, let's put the film online. So we had um, an industry screening. We had um, four sellout online screenings. We had one booked in, then we went to two, then we went to three, and they just kept selling out. And then we had four and then we went to festivals um, and that was a very, although online when people go, oh, that was really lovely um, and we all come back and we have chats and, and Q&A, there's something quite different when you're in a room with other people who enjoy the film. And I must say, I do feel quite sick each time I'm in. I've only had it, that experience twice so far. They've all been online um, otherwise. But um, I remember at Sheffield Adventure Film Festival, uh, Fritz and I would, were sitting in the audience uh, with, with Frankie, Fritz's partner, who had been part, you know, very instrumental in some of the B-roll footage. So the three of us were sitting there and uh, the film was rolling and um, it was part of a, a program of different films. And mine was, ours was the last. And um, this chap along the road got up and left. And I turned to Fritz and I was like, he hates it. He hates it. And it was just like, calm down, Joe. And then this woman got up and she left. And I was like, she hates it too, Frit. And Frit was like, calm down, Joe, calm down. And then they came back and obviously they'd just been to the toilet. They hadn't actually left the, the auditorium. And as the film finished, they turned to me and they went, and this chap who must have been in his 30s, who's not really the demographic that I would associate with the film, he said to me, that was extraordinary. That's one of the best films I've ever watched, that adventure films I've ever watched. That that was amazing. And and two women next to him were crying. And, and I was just like, are you joking? And he was like, no, we don't just say that. And so the response was just extraordinary. And so when I then went to SheStream and people were, and I saw it again and you see it with different eyes and you can hear the audience because it was a much bigger audience. People were laughing and crying and, you know, kind of sighing, not crying at different things. Um, and I'm sort of crying again because I cry quite easily. Um, and it is really nerve wracking because there's, 
as you know, it's, it's quite a raw film. And so they see me doing some really numpty things and they see me, you know, getting onto the canal and forgetting to take my paddle, you know, really rookie numpty mistakes. And they kind of forgive me for those mistakes. And then at the end, they see a, a little bit of triumph. It's really nerve wracking and I feel sick every time, but I'm just so grateful from the res- to the, re- you know, for the responses, which is always, the responses are what we want, which is not, oh God, you're amazing, which I'm clearly not. But I understand that film and that has touched my heart. And now I feel a little bit braver because if you can do something brave, it makes me feel a bit braver. Um, so the responses are very much what we hoped, which is absolutely not look at Joe, which is so not what the message of the film is, but it helps people hopefully think that they can be a bit braver too. Yeah, it is. It's such a human film and it isn't just for, for women, this film. And I'd strongly recommend that people do get a chance to watch it. Then they, they watch it because it was incredibly powerful. And um, oh, thank you. Just to share a little bit about my past, back when I started my working life, I used to work as a cinema manager. And what I used to do is is stand in the back of some films and and you, you really get the sense of the audience and their reaction. And it's very, very rare that you get the sort of reactions that, that, that you did. So congratulations. And all I can say is it's a brilliant achievement. Um, what do your boys think of it? Do you think they're proud of of you? Um, that's everybody asks that. I think they are. I think I think they're just happy. Like I say in the film, that like one of my goals, obviously fundraising, obviously to get to the coast, is to help is is for them to know that I'm okay. As you know, now that they're doing their own stuff, and also that um, that they are proud of me. Um, I, I guess I hope. I mean, you know, they're in their twenties. They they don't like sort of say it's a huge amount um but we're very close and I think they I think they like it and they they we with all the bits that we talked about then and all the photos of them in the film or when they were much younger um they they were happy with everything we talked about I wanted them to say you know we're talking about granny and your relationship with granny and how much she meant to us all and so I made sure that my sister and my dad and my boys watch the film and that if there was any bit about it any bit about it where we talked about my mum um or showed any photos that they kind of gave approval um and so they were I they seem to be happy and I think they're yeah I think they are I mean I I sort of tell them and then I'll be like you know um oh god the film's going to Kendall and then I'll be like oh that's really nice mum could you just give me some credit for my phone you know (laughs) Um, so, um, or data, I share data with my youngest son and I never use any data up. So, um, yeah, I think they're proud and they're always just very nice about it. But, you know, I think it's, it's always like when your parents do stuff, you just kind of think, yeah, whatever, mum. Um, but I think it helps me to have another life now that they're away that I think, I mean, that was always one of the goals that I would not be the mum who is, you know, forever sort of ringing and, and not and I didn't, never wanted them to think I was sort of sad at home um and I guess the the film has given me that opportunity to build a life that um means that I'm not um ringing them the whole time and asking them what they're doing so yeah no fantastic and it gives you an opportunity uh, clearly you're very creative in in a number of of different ways 
and and you know as i said it, it's it's a fantastic film so it is doing the tour at the, tours at the moment of film festivals is it going on sort of general release um we're going to so fritz now crowdfunding um for a big adventure that he did in the summer. So um, when that calms down slightly, we can regroup and we will probably put it onto um, Vimeo On Demand in in the new year so people can then um, download it and um, watch it in their their homes. Um, We don't have the infrastructure or the finances to get into mainstream cinemas. You know, that's, you know, James Bond stuff. We're not, we're not, anywhere near there obviously clearly absolutely just to make sure people didn't think i ever imagined we would be but um vimeo on demand seems a good way then people can rent it and buy it and and watch it um and share it i think it's very much a word of mouth kind of um kind of film um and and we've that's where we think we'll go probably in the new year once it's done the the rounds of you know the big big uk festivals Wonderful. Well, Joe, thanks so much, and really glad that we finally got you on. Oh, I'm not thank sure, you. I'm not sure what formats there are left to explore for you. You've obviously done a whole variety, maybe um, interpretive dance or something. <laughs> You've not seen my dancing, Simon. <laughs> I think I've done it all. I just want to get better. I just want to learn from you and get better as a podcaster. <laughs> Well, that's very kind. But, uh, you know, obviously really looking forward to your book. Well done for everything you've done. And among other things, being such a great role model and being brave enough to go for it. Oh, and thank you. all links as ever in the show notes. But where are the main places where people can connect and find out more about you? Um, so mainly hang out on Twitter and Instagram. On Instagram, I'm personally at Healthy Happy 50. So Healthy Happy 50 at the end. Although I'll be 57 at Christmas. So at some point, I'm going to have to change that. Um, and obviously, the Joy of Sup podcast with an underscore at the end. Um, and I've got a website, joemosley.com. And I'm starting a website for the podcast. I suddenly realized that um, you can find, obviously, the podcast all over apple and spotify and things but i didn't have it didn't have its own website so the joy of Sup podcast will have its own website soon too um but yeah just um i love chatting to people and and um and and sharing just the amazing things that the paddleboarding community does and obviously love sharing your podcast too so that's where you can find me thanks so much joe and look forward to catching up maybe on the water at some point That would be an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Simon. I really am hugely honoured and really appreciate that you invited me onto your podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that chat with Joe. And please don't forget to check out the show notes for the links referred to in the episode. We started this season back in mid-July with a flurry of four beginners episodes. And you can help to spread the aloha by recommending us to friends particularly if they're new and if they're looking for advice about what's up to buy how to maximize their isap package to find out more about safety or with help with their core sup skills don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter we can keep you up to date with our bonus episodes and our timelines for the next season coming next year so check out our website or the show notes link to sign up the SUP FM podcast is produced to connect, inform and inspire the SUP tribe. And because you're a member of that tribe, 
I wanted to thank you again for listening to the show. And it's always a privilege to share these stories with you, to chat to every one of my awesome guests and to share this love of our sport, which continues to deliver so many benefits. So until next week and the final episode of the season, and it is a good one, I'll see you on the water.